Hi guys, so welcome back to, and girls actually, welcome back to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast. Um, I'm here with a long, long, <laughs> long time waiting friend at bar, is crazy, crazy busy, but I'm so happy that he's here with me in the studio, Akbar Karanga. Met, we met through the BRN network, which is the Black Recruiters Network, um, and also he's a mentor at Black Valley. He's also the founder of Marusi and director of Metify. Hey. Hey, how you doing, guys? And again, public apology for <laughs> my dumb schedule. This has been in the books for a while, but good that we can. Uh, it has, down. it has. But I'm happy that you're you're finally here. Um, to kind of join us here, but yeah, thank you so much. So. Just to kind of get started, I know there's a lot of things that you've got in your title, right? So you're director at Metify, um, you're founder of Marusi, mm-hmm. and obviously you're a mentor at Black Valley Network. How long have you been a, a mentor for at Black Valley? So this would be coming on nearly a year and a half. Okay. Uh, I met Leke through Andy Davis, uh, an amazing, amazing like advocate for black talent. Um, he had a thing called Pitch Mondays, which okay. was an Instagram live, uh, seven o'clock every Monday. And if you're a black entrepreneur, you go in and you just start uh, talking about your business and people jump in with questions. Mm. So that's how I first met Leke, the CEO. And I was mm. like, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a mentorship training program, black people, how to get into tech, but giving real practical advice. So mm-hmm. I said, that's a great use of my time. So mm, that's what mm, I've been doing with them. So what what does it involve as a black as a mentor for Black Valley? What what does that involve for you? So most mentors are uh, specialists, like software engineering, product, UX, and they have a mentee who's a, who's assigned to them. And across like six to eight weeks, they go through uh, the the coaching, real life examples, so that they have something to complete at the end. My job is slightly different because I'm more career and like branding workshop focused mm, so mm, mm. after they've done that it's okay how can you now get out into the world how can you present yourself how can you get that next job in mm, tech? Mm, mm. and that's where i come in mm. so I, I was actually gonna say um with your personal branding it's actually very very good i had a look at your linkedin and you, i think you've got over 40 recommendations yeah how like that's like for everyone i'm um, like when i read through all those recommendations um, the common thing that I saw within there is that you're great to work with, you're reliable, you approach projects like with great enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. How did you get to to kind of get that level of re- recommendations? Um, so it's the like the old rule: you can't make a withdrawal without making a deposit. So a lot of those people have been okay. What did I offer? What did I give? And then at the end of it, it's like oh, um, it's just a natural thing um there's also a lot of you need to know what you're really good at basically so Mm. i learned very early in my career that i don't know much my only power is who i know Mm. who i can introduce so Mm. um there's a little bit of like staying in your lane and just knowing and doing something very very good there's a theory called hedgehog theory okay have you you ever heard of that before no can you explain to me and and everyone else please so a hedgehog um when it 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 does what it does but when it's in trouble it just curls up into a ball and you can't touch it that's it knows what it wants and just curls up hedgehog theory is like where can you go that whatever happens you can curl up into a ball and you're still good right okay networking recruitment branding that's what i do if there was anything outside of that i need to be humble with myself and say 
maybe I'll be great at it. Yeah. But it's not going to be where, it's not my home game. Okay. So, like I do with all my guests, I always kind of wheel it back to the beginning so we can understand how you've got to where you've got to today. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, and we can explore other things that you're doing today as well, like with Metafire and Marisi. So, you mentioned to me in our pre-chat that you actually came to the UK, I think, when you were six. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, proud refugee. I came here. I remember landing in Heathrow that it just hit that cold. <laughs> a different level. I didn't know English at all. My So uh, Burundi is a tiny country in Central Africa mm. next to Rwanda. It's the source of the Nile and it's shaped like a human heart. And um, all of the trouble that you saw happening in Rwanda was happening in Burundi at the time, mm. around 95, 96. So... Mm. Um, we came across, uh, my dad had got a job at the BBC and that allowed us to come in. So, mm. um, although I have got this West London accent, this is never going to be home, home, home. And uh, my plan will always be to go back and retire there. Really? Yeah. Have you spoken to baby and wife about that as well? Um, <laughs> it is, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. I, I, it's, I love how I grew up. I'm a council estate kid. I love London. But this will never be my forever place. What's the reason for that? If, I know obviously because you was born in Burundi, but what's your actual reason? Is it because of the lifestyle, the freedom? or? So I look at, for example, we're like recording this just before the Queen's uh, Jubilee, whatever things mm. like. In this country, we have lesser appreciation of the black stories that built it. Mm. And then I see like, hold on, like, we're literally celebrating 70 years of colonialism and mm. unfettered wealth. And I, mm. I prefer to spend my taxes yeah, on more of my peoples. Yeah. I've worked really hard. I'm here to get the bag yeah. and then live comfy and give back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I hear you. And do you know what? I have conversations all the time with my friends about going back home. But I feel like it will frustrate me going... Would it not frustrate you going from such a functional, efficient environment mm-hmm. to an environment where you might call the ambulance and they take three hours to come. Well, that is our experience now uh, in the UK. Actually, that's a good point. Maybe you are right. So I've got to ask myself, okay, so how can we get there? So uh, a couple of years ago, I I did like, had my midlife crisis 10 years early and decided, okay, I'm going to quit my job. I've been there for five years and I'll go backpacking through like East Africa. Kenya, Zanzibar, Tanzania. Right. And it was like, it was so freeing walking down a road and not being the other, where I could just like yeah, be me. Yeah. But then it's when you go to certain parts there, you see how much Chinese investment is happening. Yeah. You see actually, there's so many people who are willing to invest in Africa. Mm. Why can't we be yeah. the, the first people? Like it's, it's not going to be the story of the history of Liberia where it's loads of ex-people who come in and then mm. they create a weird overclass. Why can't in my last 15, 20 years mm. where I have got that state pension, I have got mm, this, that, mm. I can give back and help get that level up. I like that. That makes sense. I like that. And I, I, I slightly feel like my dad's trying to do the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. Like slowly. But anyway, um, so in regards to when you came over here, you were six years old, you didn't speak English. What was it like growing up in West London? I know you mentioned that you like growing up in a council estate, but... Mm-hmm. Like, who are your key influences? How did you kind of get, you know, get into learning English and everything? Yeah, so actually, so I was 
I just loved school dinners and uh, my <laughs> my year one teacher like saw that and said okay we're setting up a chess club and um, if you do chess club uh, you can go to lunch 15 minutes early every Tuesday but what they did was they got volunteers to do like to be just English teachers while learning the game of chess so right. then quickly in the first six months actually I was just running getting my like hot pot and going oh my god this is amazing and then that was that English class there Biggest influences, number one, is my mum. Um, mm. There is no ifs, buts or maybes there. And I learned so many like life lessons on mm. how to move, how to treat people, how to not take shit yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in so many different parts of life. So yeah, she'll be the number one. And then I had amazing teachers. Really? Secondary school, absolutely amazing teachers. So my French teacher, so she now works at Google, still now will drop me an occasional message on Facebook or LinkedIn and goes, oh my God, I see your baby. Uh, work experience, she says, if you want to come, please do that. I literally know them by name still to this day. And if I see them around, uh, I say hello. So really, really lucky there. Do you feel like there was something about you when you was young that was um, where you kind of naturally like gravitated towards people and you naturally built relationships really well? Is that why you think you had good relationships with your teachers? No, no, like I, I can't gas myself. I'm just, I've been lucky and surrounded by loads of amazing people. Um, no, it's been all on them. They didn't need to give me that time. Okay, okay, that's good. So what about the transition from you kind of in school, going to college, university? Where did you kind of find your, your skill sets and, mm. and what you're kind of really good at? Oh, so like I'm the oldest and like the choices, like my mum dropped at 17 was like, you can either go to uni or you can find somewhere else to live. It's it's just like that. Old <laughs> you didn't have a choice. Yeah. No, you got a choice. Those are the choices. <laughs> I'm not saying you need to go. Yeah. No. But there was like loads of bigger student pressure that I was lucky to be academic and I found like that's part of life easy. So I wanted to choose somewhere that was not in London. Basically, I wanted to just have the be outside of home experience. And that's what made me choose Canterbury. Um, absolutely loved it. But then when I graduated, I realised I'm an idiot. I chose philosophy and politics. Degrees have <laughs> no business getting me a job anywhere. And then it was like, okay, I, what am I going to do? So I graduated in November. And then a recruiter, Daisy Dupree, still remember her name. She mm. uh, uh, slid in my LinkedIn and said, oh, have you considered a career in recruitment? And back in that day, recruitment was very much... Looked down upon. The boiler room, kind yeah. of. So I joined an S3 brand. So I imagine like seven... S3! I remember S3. Amazing place to learn. Yeah. Certain important like life lessons. But I imagine 70 people, yeah. mostly men, mostly had come from a sales background before and they were good at the client side. And me, I didn't come from that. And I was yeah. like, oh, just speak to the person, ask questions, get a job help them get a job was it straight out of uni yeah. straight out of uni yeah s3 because I, I remember sorry in, in the recruitment industry like anyone that came from s3 I, I was a little bit intimidated by mm -hmm. because I, I just heard that anyone that done recruitment there was just really especially for a long time was really on point mm -hmm. like it was that type of militant environment it, it let me put it this way so i will honestly say i was probably one of the worst recruiters <laughs> in my team <laughs> i like cowfish backsy if you're hearing this you know i'm not lying <laughs> Uh, but it's, again, I've got a gas of people around me. My first manager who's there, he was like, yes, he was hard. Yes, he was direct. But he was also one of those people who just knew his shit. So he didn't play the politics. He didn't do the f Thursday nights and stuff like that. 
but he just knew his candidates mm. and he knew his clients. So I literally was surrounded by people who'd build a million, build this, build that. And they were really? absolutely amazing. So I was easily the worst, but I was surrounded by those people who taught me great lessons. So what key things, when you went from university to um, working at a company like S3, what key things did you have to learn really quickly? Because I knew, for example, very, very minor, when I moved from university and went to work in life, that I had to be on time. Like, it's very, very simple, but I, I literally had was put on probation and put on performance plans for not being on time mm-hmm. because I, there was no penalties, really, in university. Mm-hmm. If you don't make it, you don't make it, mm-hmm. you know? So what, like, what kind of key things did you have to learn very quickly in that time? Exactly that point there. So it was 8.30, you had to be by your desk. And the director at the time used to stand by the lift. And then, what? Yeah, stand by the lift and then you, did, you didn't make it. And so it, that was an important one there. I think I learned also more from my mistakes. So like I, either I'd, I'd go to a client meeting and then I'd look the part, I'd have the suit, I'd have this, that. Mm. But I literally didn't know why they were hiring. I didn't like, if I, I didn't get deep into why they were letting me in, why mm. would a company pay for my service? So I really, really learned to not be transactional, like talk behind the need ask behind the need mm. that's really good key uh but then also a lot about the bullshit that is the politics of uh working in an office there's like there's certain people who are really good at moving a certain way and maybe other people who deserve more might not get ahead of them mm. and just know that you might not want to do office politics but mm. there is office politics so you might as well be good at it why lose the game what do you mean like like just elaborate more on like so uh for example um one of my directors was maybe like really good at giving praise to other people in his team right and i saw that again and again and loads of people got promoted Mm. alongside him but maybe he could have been more selfish and taken credit for what he was doing Mm. properly and then that meant he would have been able to get that director over the other person because there was like i know which one was a good manager and which one was an okay manager the okay manager which he was just like all the deal emails is like this is what i did and like, mm, so mm. i learned very quickly how to be a good advocate for me mm. as well as sometimes uh, other people yeah. as well so how was your progression at s3 did you kind of plateau or did you progress quite quickly i was crap i was absolutely crap so <laughs> i joined uh just after the credit crunch Okay. And that was a 21-person IT recruitment team. And I was still there. I, I did, uh, like, certain numbers. That meant I was still there when that team went down to seven. So That means you weren't that bad. No, no there was just a lot of resilience. I didn't bill uh, as much as others. Definitely not. I think they're, again, back to my managers. They saw great potential in me. Right. But I wasn't getting the numbers at the start. Right. And then that got me frustrated because I was like, I'm doing this. I thought I was doing the right thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, let me move to now a smaller agency where maybe I, I, in my head, I was like, oh, the problem is the market. The problem is the market. Dumb, dumb decision. Really? Yeah. Uh, I left S3 to go to a, a smaller company. And then I literally didn't pass probation. Three months. Really? They, they longed it out until the, the third month. I had actually had a really good start. And they were like, uh, sorry, uh, thank you, thank you. I remember going down, the offices were uh, by so, uh, Leicester Square. First time I'd ever been let go. I'm 23 years old. I just sit on the bench like a homeless person for like 20 minutes. Oh, bless. I, I call my missus and then I go, 
babes, this is what happened. She's like, oh, yeah, that's crap. Big breath. And I just take that train. I don't even put on my headphones. And I just yeah, go you got to bring your own thoughts. Yeah, and just chill. So I'm sure everyone's kind of gone through that period where probations either have been extended or not been passed. I've had a probation extended in one of my first jobs as well. What, I guess, what do you think you did yeah. <laughs> for them to say, do you know what, that's it, we're, we've had enough of you, we can't extend your probation anymore? Um, so I, I think I should have got better at asking, like, what were their expectations? Mm. So what... I came in as an experienced, semi-experienced recruit, and they maybe they were thinking like they were gonna get this instant impact at a higher level than I was. I was like, this is a great start, uh, mm. and that that was a mismatch. So it's just being honest, like in your interview process, in your final interview, what will good look like in the first one month, in mm, the first three mm, months? Mm. What should I be doing? What numbers? I didn't have that conversation. Mm. I was a good salesman, and I did the chat. And it's like, it's one of the most dangerous things about recruitment. Mm. If the other person is, thinks they're good at closing and you think you're good at closing, you guys will gas each other, put each other into certain mm. situations and like, yay, got the job. Yay, I got the candidate. And it's like, but actually, do we want him? Do I want that company? Can that happen? Mm. Big mistake. And I learned loads from that. Did you, um, when you worked at S3, when you worked to your other agency, did you do 360 recruitment or did you just do the client side of the candidates? Always 360. Always 360. Yeah. So you were basically working on um, finding candidates, doing everything yourself, finding clients as well? Yes. How did you find the client development side of things? Because I remember I used to, that used to be up and down for me when I started. Again, really bad. Uh, I think that is definitely something that I've only recently learnt uh, how to understand. So, um, I was in a very big market, so I did software engineering for a very popular programming language, and there were always mm. loads of people I could call, mm. but it was just a volume game. Like I could only say like three or four clients were like, whoa, they love me, or they'll give me loads of repeat work. What was your what has been your successful kind of sales tactic? Because just in case there's anyone out there that wants to get into recruitment or even wants to figure out how to best sell and position mm -hmm. their offering, what works really well from cold, from the cold contacts mm -hmm. to the end, and what doesn't work really well? Mm -hmm. Okay, so in terms of cold outreach, strive for different. Like, imagine how your phone pops off across an hour. Mm. You have your Instagram, you have your partner calls, you have BBC News, you have everything like that. You're fighting for competition for that side of their life, let alone all their inbound work emails. So... Dear Mr. Blah Blah Blah, I noticed that bullshit. That does. really, I my passionate pledge for you guys is to personalize not every individual message, but what is f uh, for you. So, um, I was headhunting this guy, for example, out of Twitter that like uh last week, and it's like my oh, it's, uh, the subject line was like run before Elon comes, <laughs> and then and then it was like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you don't know what you think about, but you definitely open, we'll open it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay, so that that that'll be in terms of cold outreach. Try and strive for that. Um, the second part is be multi-channel in your approach. So mm. it's email. The dumbest thing after they didn't reply to the email is like, hey, per my last email, go on another social ch uh, a social channel. Uh, go in and around, and then have something meaty to come back to maybe mm. on that follow-up email. Uh, there are some people who have 
asked me out and broken up with me over a chain of like six different emails in my inbox. How? Do you no, mean? I mean like, hey, I noticed. And then by the way, blah, blah, blah. Oh, per my last email. Oh, by the way, yeah, I'm not going to no longer be uh, like... Contacting like, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen it as well. Yeah. So I'm literally seeing a relationship that I'm not involved in <laughs> in my email coming in. So th- th- that'd be one there. And then once you uh, get to some sort of um, conversation closing so okay if i was to do this would you be interested in a call if we were able to x y and z how would you feel about that and then um my sales director the most powerful sentence uh, at the end of a like you've just put something out there and goes this is this sounds a little bit crazy like are you sure about this you've got you say that exact yeah. word take something away and don't say anything and in that silence, you will get the genuine feedback. Back to the point about good closers will get to a point and then like, do we actually want to do this? So, mm. uh, uh, for example, with can- there was a candidate uh, um, and I actually completely, completely uh, remember. So she was at Wonderman. She was a data scientist. And this was me a couple of years back at a startup. Mm. And... I said, well, this is a five day a week. Maybe we'll do one day in the office. But I mean, that's crazy. This is this is really important to you. You wanted mm. to spend t- more time with your other half. So yeah, that, 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 that actually that would be a real deal breaker. So why did she not say that at the beginning? Because it's very hard for us to be inconsistent and yeah. to disagree and be that, that party pooper. So mm. you have to use that energy put it out there and know is a beautiful answer yeah. in sales then you know that's what you're going to close against yeah maybe you need to run to the uh so the manager at the time said no non-negotiable so now me being a selfish person i i can be selfish but also i can be honest and yeah. be a good person too yeah. martha i even remember her name so mm. I go, this might not be right for you but i've already the silver medalist now becomes the gold medalist and we hired steve Right, got you, got you. So, apart from, okay, so apart from um, your, the sales tactics that you've kind of shared with us that works really well, what would you say is good in addition to actually selling? Is there any like indirect selling or marketing or personal branding mm-hmm. tips that you would want to give to people out there? So the, there's a theory called uh, seven points of contact. You don't trust someone or something until you see them in their life um, seven times. It's why a watch company will brand themselves with a Formula One team. You need mm. to see them in the shop. You need to see the Facebook ad. You mm. need to see them in passing. You need to see uh, your favorite movie star wearing it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, maybe I'll consider it. Mm. So where else do they see your name, your brand mm. in some sort of way? So that's where kind of we circle back to my LinkedIn activity. It's okay. I will maybe be mentioned by somebody else. You know, quite somebody will at me. They will see me getting lost in the comments, like saying my opinion and being a bit spicy. Then I will personally reach out to them. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then there's a level of trust now. So mm. this isn't so, this is a social social proof. Um, the, the, I, I like using dating examples. You tell me if, if, if I'm wrong with this, where you know that, oh, these people like him or her or these people spend time with her that means this person must be worth some sort of time 
Nah, I don't feel the same as that. And I think if they're fair girls like this guy, I'm like, oh. No, no, imagine, uh, imagine, imagine you're at a party yeah. and you see that person is in the middle just having a good time. You, you get curious. Yeah, yeah you, you get, do. what's you going do. on there? Yeah. While there's that person who's got that foot by the wall yeah. and then asks you for that wine at the end and I'm like, what, you weren't involved in the party. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, you can't come by with me. You wasn't involved in the whole thing. I get, I understand that theory. It's it, The thing is, it's interesting because I've got a friend that she's... um an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a conversation with her about personal branding as well at some point. And she mentioned to me that you want to be seen, but not too much. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to overdo it. You don't want people to get annoyed and sick of you. Mm-hmm. How do you strike that balance between mm-hmm. not being annoying, but mm-hmm. still being seen? Yeah, I think your friend has, uh, because it's high reputation mm-hmm. and she, uh, she can't change. Mm-hmm. Um, like her, she's an artist, she'll always be an mm-hmm. artist. What I would say is, uh, you need to evolve and have different things to say. Mm. So um, right now I speak passionately about diversity and inclusion, new ways of working, remote working, all that mm. kind of stuff. But mm. there's always got to be a different angle on it. I can't mm. just be every day going, I have jobs and yes, uh, please hire more. It's like, okay, mm. is it deep topical societal things mm-hmm. that we see happening there? Is it like every day give back to the community and say, this mm. is how to help your CV mm. um, get better. So mm. you have a level of range in what you say. Mm. Um, but actually consistency doesn't need to be every day. Mm. Maybe there's one guy called Adam Cat mm. He posts about African startups every Thursday on the dock. That's all he does. Right. All he does. A, a long breakdown of this is what's news in startups there. So just be consistent with it. Mm, and whatever it is because sometimes I feel like even I'm trying to figure it out I'm trying to figure out what content do I post do I not post sometimes I plan it sometimes I don't mm-hmm. it's very sporadic do you put like a lot of thought into it like do you do like every Sunday I plan out my post and this is what I'm going to do for the week or do you just kind of flow with it um, I know I'll need to be there like every two three days okay and it's like what moves me uh, got you I listen to loads of podcasts so I'm mm. going to be listening to this. Uh, not me, because I hate hearing the sound of my own voice, but all the other yeah. ho- uh, guests before and after. So uh, you've got to be like well-read and well-informed in your space. And then you've got to have an opinion. Yeah. Like, what, uh, just a, a share doesn't really matter. It's like, why? Why do yeah. you care? Why do you think that's a six instead of an eight out of ten? Yeah, I get you. And to be honest with you, I feel like for anyone listening, people actually might value your opinion more than you think sometimes when you put something out there, more than you think. So there's a there's so much truth in that. Um, yeah. So like in your day, like you've you work for a fantastic brand mm. and you you're in so many different conversations. You don't know that there's like somebody out there, this mm. marketer is like shit that happens mm. or this candidate is like, oh, that's how that moves or mm. that black girl who's first starting it's mm. probably one of the reasons why you probably started this mm. podcast so mm. don't think there's so many people who are outside of your circle who find what you do fascinating yeah I've, i mean i i'm learning that as along the way as well like definitely and i'm sure people will say the same thing about you as well so um i mean just on on, on another note because i know you mentioned that you're obviously a dni advocate and i feel like there's a lot of individuals that are dni advocates specialists consultants how have you built up your knowledge in DNI, and mm. what what is it that you teach with um, DNI? If you do teach anything, 
Yeah, so I'd say I'm definitely not a, a consultant who would run so many programs, and I've got like a long list of people that I'd love to shout out uh, there. So okay, yeah, so it wouldn't be that. It would be looking at so in my space, my job is to choose winners and losers. Okay, will they get the job when they get the job? That decision is dripping in politics, in culture, in so many weird things that mm. mean that talent is spread equally but mm. opportunities are not mm. so it's being an expert in my numbers in the legislation in what i see and feel i, I I'm, I'm a person moving in life but also humbling myself with some of my privileges that mean that i can do something that the world would absolutely slam you for mm. and, and like vice versa so that's where it comes from like what do i know so right now i know from schmidt and hunter the longest study on assessment criteria that don't have unstructured interviews that changes completely how we are able to make smart decisions that, that well that we shouldn't have you should always have at least semi-structured interviews okay write down the interview questions mm -hmm. score them accordingly whatever those questions are mm. even if they're proper pro problematic mm. if you make people accountable for what they're going to ask and they ask that again and again it starts people being vibes in the call and saying oh i really like that person and i push them through how do you monitor that with your hiring managers because i i've put together guides on like this is what you should be asking and then sometimes when we have our conversations like you didn't ask this question that i put down mm -hmm. for you mm -hmm. and i get annoyed <laughs> so how do you monitor it it's so it's it's humans are still going to be yeah, humans yeah. so i would suggest sometimes like reverse it and start with the scorecard mm. so uh, if you use an applicant tracking system sometimes you can just write down okay what was their score and then mm. you could so put them in don't tell me maybe i'm not going to tell you what you're going to ask mm, but this mm, is what mm. we have agreed that we're going to judge them on mm, mm, mm. um and then also uh there's difference between summative and formative assessment so okay um summative is that end exam at the end of the year that's like pass or fail mm -hmm. formative is that quiz that happens across a year your teacher says yeah you're doing well and it's kind of a diagnostic tool so mm -hmm. if you say in your recruitment process at the end of every stage it's 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 summative pass fail then once they go in we're now testing different things right okay then it's like pass fail so that means if you put your hiring manager in kind of a box no, 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 I've checked culture. Don't talk about money. Mm. What do you do? Your marketing. Channel questions. Can they run your program? Yes or no? And then uh, and then after that, then there'll be another section, another section. So that's how it's so, so how do you get around um, D&I problems where typically there's, let's use black candidates, right? May not have had, they may not have had certain exposure or certain mm -hmm. education. Um, to build certain skills or, or experience for mm -hmm. roles. Mm -hmm. So typically, sometimes the right candidate may not be a black candidate, mm -hmm. but um, companies have um, the the challenge of wanting to get more black candidates in or saying they saying they do at senior levels, but there's, there's a lack of those that are qualified. How do you work around those? Do you change the criterias? Um, mm -hmm. do you, like, what's your techniques around that? Well, we've been employing uh, unqualified white private school men agreed since, since the history of capitalism yeah agreed so what is my energy is always so you're telling me hiring people who are not qualified is a problem 
Mm. Now, now, now you, mm. you're telling about it. So mm. stop that noise straight away. So it's mm. not a pipeline problem. Mm. It's never an assessment problem. It's not a skills problem. Mm. So you, any black person hearing this or any person who thinks they're from an underrepresented community in terms of the world they work, mm. don't worry about it. Why are you holding on to your inferiority complex while Jeff, who went to Eton, he rolls through and thinks he can do the job? Mm, mm, mm. So th that's the first point there. Second point, you, you've already touched on already. Do they actually want to make this mm. move? And that's okay for companies to fall short of their, their mouth with their actions. It's on us to not be discriminatory, but be selective in terms of where we give our talents and our energy. Mm. So on the most boring aspect is, so look at the recruitment of a sports team. Mm. Britain has understood really clearly that actually it's important to have every single person, for the most part, wherever they're from, play football and get the England team. They're comfortable having us in certain spaces mm. where we over-index. Mm. So what we need to do is have that same energy in terms of what companies we look for and hire for when you go, was my recruiter of a place that I, I can represent? Um, do they have black and white <laughs> policies that mm. say it's there? Have I reached out to people um, who are from a community that I trust? And then let's have that as like powered by black people kind of stamp mm. or um, is LGBTQ plus friendly and I know that and I see that and mm. then let's just stop applying for those type of positions and they won't be in business anymore. It will be dumb for an American football team which mm. had the racist views back in the 60s to win a game in the 70s if they did not have black people on their team. Just mm. didn't make talent sense. Mm, mm. No, it, it, it does make sense. But I'm guessing that throughout your experience you might have had a situation where you know a decision's being made that is, I guess, biased. Mm -hmm. you, you've, you've probably had that I'm guessing yeah, you're yeah. 13 years of experience yeah. how do you handle those situations because again I feel like a lot of um, underrepresented recruiters sometimes they, they face that um, that challenge of knowing how to approach certain conversations when mm. they know something is, is wrong mm -hmm. how, how yeah. do you approach it so I'll, I'll, I'll skip from the fluff and give you like a real example so I was recruiting in Shanghai for a B2B uh, education brand Mm. and the only thing that they needed to land on was like, can we land in Shanghai, give them the visa, and they're going to be teachers for um, education programs. Mm. There was literally uh, there was literally one person, uh, he was like an old school kind of dean of the, uh, the university, he said, Akbar, we've hit our quota. Uh, uh -uh. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> so this is one of the most, and it's like, well, this person comes from this country and mm -hmm. was using like dog whistle words and he knew what he wanted to say, but he wasn't going to say it with his chest. And what that meant was like, uh, well, we need more diversity the other way. So I needed basically to quote unquote find somebody who was from middle America, mm. ideally blonde, all that kind of stuff there. And I had a choice. Like, mm. I did the tactics of like, do you mean uh, you want me to find people who look different? I, I just put it out there. Mm. Because, no, 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 that's not what I mean. Mm. There's certain expectations for, sort of, for our, our clients. So um, 
do you want to lead the market or do you want to follow the market? Um, would you be willing to write down your preference in an email so that I've got that when I, a candidate asks why they're not being put mm. in a position? So many bigots are comfortable saying something in code, but they won't say it directly to your, to your face mm. and they definitely won't write it down. So that's that step there. So ask around that discrimination. Yeah. And then say, look, thank you for talking about this. Like, can you, can you, just, can you just write that down? <laughs> Put it in writing and can they wouldn't. Can you, can and they won't. Yeah. So that means then they can't. That's a good technique. He was not able. So the next guy, a Zimbabwean guy who got the best student scores uh, over the two years. First person, first CV I sent, I sent through to him. Mm. So In Shanghai? In Shanghai. Mm. Yes. So. Uh, that's just one tactic now again i'm gonna respect my privilege in terms of that i was comfortable in a certain level in my career um i'm naturally extroverted mm. and there was there was just a time there was a lot of like i don't give a fuck about my, this might be different for somebody who's just come into a position they're in a very monochrome like working environment and everyone's got bills mm. so that's how i moved at that time mm. And please reach out to me or obviously to you, mm. Nicole, if you want to just like run a situation by us. That's interesting. So how how do you feel like you got to that point? Because you, I kind of skipped a bit in your career from when you didn't pass evasion. I didn't really understand, or I, I still don't understand how you've built this level of confidence and knowledge over your career. Is it, it like, how, how did you get to that point? Mm-hmm. What other key influences played a big part for you to get to this point? Yeah, so... Um, I went on holiday to Taiwan. One of my friends from uni, he'd moved there and mm. then we did two weeks, amazing island. It was just great. And I was like, mm. I need to go there. So then I was like, I found a job with an education company that was willing to do amazing training. And uh, I knew that, okay, let me get in and then let me try and recruit there, there. The trend across a lot of my career is actually hunting for like high responsibility jobs doesn't have to be like high title jobs doesn't have to be high money jobs initially high responsibility so you can just like do the person who makes the decisions mm. maybe there isn't even a lot of support around mm. and like through you're letting the company pay mm. for your learning and loads of difference i see so many people in their careers get stuck behind progression plans L D plans mm. over like a two-year mm. cycle mm. skip that and uh, that's where i've been able to high responsibility roles or at the very least, like, younger businesses that don't have stuff. You see loads of problems and you think, mm. I can fix that. Wait, how, how can people identify, high respons- like, what a role is with high responsibility and how to get into that as well? Because mm. I think it's easier said. Yeah, yeah, no, so definitely. So um, look at, uh, in a company, how they're growing year on year in terms of stuff. Right. So if they're growing year on year or they say they will be going year on year, that already creates, like, a middle management problem. They need those people who are individual contributors to be very quickly running projects by themselves Mm-mm. or running people by themselves. Mm. By naturally you sitting on your ass and being six out of seven, uh, six out of 10, sorry, that is something that you probably in a high, uh, more likely for them to promote you. Mm. That's one aspect there. Also look at your manager if they are running loads of different departments. Are they a specialist in what they what you do? Mm. If they're not, that's great because they're probably going to be like, oh, thank God. Like, you, you're the expert in that. Just let's just do the report at the end of the year. So I'd use, like, a marketing example. If you are great at 
PPC and your manager is great at search engine optimization, mm. they're going to have an opinion on what you do, but they're going to be relying on you more mm, to give mm, it to mm, them. Mm, mm. So basically identifying what you're really good at and what value it has to a business. Yeah, or maybe, like it's the human aspects of like people will always delegate something to you that maybe they feel you can do. So that's great. You can gas yourself mm. and think, yeah, I can do it. Mm. But if by the structure that you're in or the dynamic of your manager, they need to do that anyway, it's naturally you get more responsibility. Right, got you. So it's fine in those places. So how did so how did that, that, that journey work for you? So where where did you kind of go next? How did you discover yeah, that, so that job in China was absolutely amazing. So yeah. it was like this massive, amazing education brand. And then actually I needed to hire around like 90 people per year. But By yourself? Yeah, I love those type of jobs. So By yourself? Yes. And what, in tech? No, no, so this was education. Education, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so but, no, but it wasn't tech roles in education? No, it wasn't tech okay, roles. Okay. But I mean, last year I hired 86. By yourself? I, I hired two talent people. And that was from, so from October to the end of the year, uh, I had a team of like three. But then before that, for most of the year, it was by myself. How did you do that? Like, how are you hiring so high volume? What's your, what's your techniques? Oh, okay, cool. So uh, it's a philosophy of inbound, Mark, inbound. You want to create a amazing, interesting brand around two or three things mm. that are your value proposition and try and market work really hard to get as many eyeballs onto uh, your roles and then just handle the inbound i see so many people like doing headhunting or doing so much outreach and it's like hold on why if you are working on you are only going to hire the people who deserve to land on your dot com mm. then that gets super scary mm. so that means you're like okay i need to run with it and mm. also there's such a there's a, I've seen hiring managers do this where like, oh, but they applied or but but this was a referral. And mm. I'm like, no, no, no. The person that's easiest to close, the person who knows most about us is the person who liked us and applied for us. So so respecting that there. Um, also, interview processes. Chop them down to maximum four stages. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so time yeah. to hire. Your total addressable market is the people who are going to be inbound to you. Mm. And yeah, there's a problem. How, so how how have you managed to make sure that roles are seen um, consistently? Because I internally at Depop, I have like um, community outreach sessions where I kind of help the team figure out how to best be seen like in different communities and everything. What are some of the techniques that you've shared or that, or that you've mm-hmm. that you've done? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a EdTech brand uh, after the the China experience and. I just sat down with the two uh, lead engineers like, let's apply for jobs. Like, where do you go? What do you do? And I just sat behind them and they were looking. And it's like just literally seeing where they scroll, mm. what were their first dot uh, com that they went to. Mm. And then that's where I'm going to spend my marketing budget. Um, okay, so can I have a look at mm. your, your emails? And you just saw our tech lead was just like, like the same outreach. Hi, I noticed dropped a keyword <laughs> search uh, on terms of one of their texts. Here's the uh, JD. What do you think? Yeah. And then, so then I was like, I'm definitely I can't Not be doing that. that. I can't be that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Do you think it's intrusive to put a video to post a video in someone's? Because I've got videos before in my DMs on LinkedIn. As long as it's, 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 if it's different, it, it, then go for it. Just try it. Um, I, people use voice notes. Uh, people, I voice notes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, no, just, just um, like imagine if your best friend was gonna send you a message on your WhatsApp right now. Mm. How would they introduce themselves? Is it? Hey, like bracket, bracket, space, no, no. Try and get as close as possible to mm. that trusted friend mm, who's going to mm, be messaging mm. them about a job. Mm-mm. So just to kind of talk about your current um, roles now and um, Marusi, yeah. said it perfect. Per- talk to us about that company, why you founded it, what what it does. So it was, I kept on getting like, oh, would you like to film this? Would you want to speak at this conference? And then it was like, I needed a way to kind of like squash all of those emails outside of my Hotmail, which mm. was sign up to my Netflix mm. and my work email, which maybe I will change company. Mm. So that's another tip as well. Do not have your work email tied to your LinkedIn email. What, your, your actual work? work so your LinkedIn, work. Your, your LinkedIn profile, use a different email address to your work email address as that authorization one really because i i have to change well we have to change it when you want linkedin recruiter so say is there any other way that you can ah. so you can change the payment of it uh the payment card options to be your company card and anything like that but hold on to that because they don't own your ideas your energy on your linkedin right that's a, that's a relationship between you and microsoft who own linkedin right right if they want to pay they want to pay for it there but it's I, this is a, a passion of me in terms of like that distinction. Okay. Okay. So Marusi again again was just collected that there. So um, it was a space there, and also uh, I get asked to do kind of uh, like f- uh, some contracts and freelance and stuff, or some project work, and I wanted a space, a different email that I I can I need to take it seriously, and then a calendar. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it first started, and then it just ballooned into this thing but having a kid um, <laughs> has meant that no i ain't got time to do my day job which is a director uh, of recruiting at metify and being the best dad to malik so with marissa is it just you by yourself or do you have like a team or anything so no it's just be me by myself okay. um i'm really lucky like for example my brother is like so much cooler than me so he's a digital marketing specialist he's a music producer all that kind of stuff so, i remember so, you said it found me so cool exactly <laughs> my sister again she's a digital marketing specialist so whenever our client comes and has certain jobs or something like that we will uh, i would always be happy to rely on them there uh but mm. yeah no it's just me okay okay and so metafly so just to understand you're quite young and you're a director at metafly which i think is incredible mm-hmm. how did you get to director level in your current company what was that transition like? Um, so titles are usually, if we think of like how a big four company like PwC, how they move, mm. there's so many bandings, you have mm. to do a certain number. Number of years, according to Schmidt and Hunter, the biggest longitudinal study on assessment, number of years is the worst way to assess somebody's talent. Mm. So, I agree with that massively. Oh, absolutely yeah. awful. Yeah. So, you, uh, I knew that, for example, if I wanted to go in a more traditional company, in a mm. more traditional route, that would be slower. Mm. You have to, that high responsibility role before that, you need to back yourself mm. in terms of that there. Um, also, uh, I would say that 
going for startups is uh, a, a, an amazing way um, mm. to progress really quickly in the company. Um, do what you say and say what you do is, mm. is uh, being accountable. Mm. Uh, I think that that's really important. But then also there is the game within the game. Like, mm. uh, are, are you willing to work on the networking side, the mm. stuff that feels like it's not really your job? Mm. Actually, that's how you get your bag. Um, so putting your hand up or seeing something that can be, uh, I know a good SaaS platform for that. Mm. You suggest it, you send it to your CEO. There are loads of little micro things that mm. you can do day to day, week to week. Um, but then also, there's sometimes uh, situations across my career where you maybe need to take a step back mm. to take a, a big step forward. Uh, my longest time at a company was five years, and I was known as the 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 guy who knew the, about the company. And I was like, hold on, like I, I don't want to be associated with, with a company, and that's when I had my midlife crisis at 30 and mm. so that took me I, I i came back from four months away and i was like i need to start again uh, how did you come to the i guess the conclusion of what you need to start again so you, you went away and in that time you went traveling around africa you mentioned so how did you come to the realization okay cool this is what i need to do this is how i need to do it what what played a part in that again i'm very lucky me and you are very lucky that mm. we are experts in the recruitment process mm. and then we can see and draw out what sort of place is like by mm. their recruitment process mm. so i was like why why am i going through this like this dumb process this sh shit form mm. this branding that i don't care about and i'm not going to sell to mm. so i was like i didn't want to struggle against things that people who are they are who they are mm. so that was a really really big realization where I just went for like, what did I care about? So the first contract was uh, at a ed tech company that was about apprenticeships and giving people a chance outside of universities. Mm. I could have nearly done that job for free. That's how much I cared about them. But then it was like, that meant that I got a taste of that after three months. So like the next job, definitely. That's what I want to do. And the next job after that, definitely that. And you find yourself working better, working harder at something that you actually care about. You... You have a wide range in experience in recruitment. I'm just listening to you. You've worked in software engineering, IT, education, mm -hmm. and then edtech. Yeah. Where, where else? So I've done SaaS. So everything that is go-to-market from customer success, account executives, SDR, BDR. I've done that. Um, leadership positions, CEO, COO, all of that there for really young businesses marketing i've built out whole marketing functions mm. before software engineering that is also uh, software leadership uh education uh yeah uh, any teacher on three continents uh I've, I've hired for and those have been really big established business and also startups what what continents have you hired teachers of? i've done 24 countries what <laughs> You're crazy humble, Agua. Mm -hmm. Like, you have so much accolades. Like, you, you tw 24 countries. It's uh, so. How? The, so it's just the types, again, high responsibility role. So, when uh, I was in that education brand for five years, I was having to land people from, uh, from all over the world to China. 
But then when I moved to London with that company, they put me in this department and they said, oh my God, we've, we've got to roll out these programs into different countries. Mm. And you're the only guy uh, responsible for it. And I was like, great, that sounds fun. Let's do it. So it was, so I know how to say uh, freelancer in Finnish. In do it, come Italian. on, let's, let's okay, do it. Let's so so in, in Spanish, so you, you say so uh, autonomo is the tax bracket. Autonomo. Autonomo. Um, in Italy, you got you can sign the contract as Coco Coco or Contractor <laughs> Interterminale. And in okay. Finnish, it is, it starts with a T, I forgot how to say it. So that's an example of like, I was talking tax with this person, it, obviously in English, but they yeah. had to ex- explain it in that there. So yeah, that was, that was my how, But how, how, how did you hire across so many different countries without fully speaking their language? Did, did everyone speak English? Yes. Okay. So again, so this, that makes sense. this is one of the privileges of colonialism, is that <laughs> going across uh, a lot of places, like speaking English or French is super handy. Perfect. Cool. And talk to us about so Metafy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know obviously you're the director there. You mentioned briefly before the brief start recording the podcast that there's a lot of changes happening. Mm-hmm. Can you discuss those changes or Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. So uh so Metafy uh started by Josh Fabian, uh like son of uh, uh Pittsburgh, just a hilarious man who's super, super smart and it's basically a coaching platform for you or me to be better at a game and getting coached by an amazing person who's like the best at that job uh, at at that game what is happening in startup land is that um there's have you ever done like the 15 minute uh kind of uh supermarket delivery things like getter like gorilla every day yeah so (laughs) okay so let's take a step back and then let's look at that uh, business model Mm -hmm. so that relies on their stock is large perishable goods mm-hmm. their service is expensive last mile delivery mm. and their client acquisition is high spend social media and tv placements mm. that means they're burning through a shit ton of money mm-hmm. for them to get that money they go to venture capitalist firms mm. and say this is how much i need this is blah blah blah, blah. and they're not looking to be profitable what they're looking to do the is exit plan yeah, they're not looking right now to say, am I spending more to get a customer mm. to spend? No, I need to get enough market share that after a while, boom, I can raise prices to what they should be. Right now, with the instability that you're seeing in the industry, is that um, what they're doing is they've spent too much on this imbalanced process. And then their investors are like, I can't double down on what you're doing you're going to have to cut down costs. You're going to have to lose staff members. Mm. Now, that's not where we are because we're building something in a very specific way. Mm. But it's it, people are shook now. They're like, should I, should I move jobs? Uh, is, is my job safe? Mm. This is my fourth recession that I've worked through. I started my recruitment career during the credit crunch after mm. Lehman Brothers. So I'm fine with it. But it's all about asking, like, is your business juicing or gaming the system? Mm. and there was this was never meant to be how you build businesses before like old school bank managers would be like is your company making money yeah how much exactly does it cost? now um, it's silly season so uh chathmath uh i don't want to mispronounce his name he's the ceo of a fund called social capital okay and he said the venture capitalist space is like a ponzi scheme it's a it's a it's a hustle 
where it's a confidence sell. It's all about getting to that next race. Mm. And loads of founders, loads of startups, loads of businesses get lost trying to chase that next race or caring about growth over revenue, unit economics. So right. uh, that's what's happening generally in my area uh, in the startup world. So how's that affecting recruitment for you at the moment? Recruitment is we need to ask ourselves every time, like, is this hire going to fundamentally improve our business? Right. If it's not, let's consider it. Why are we hiring for it now? Mm. There's a certain level of discipline there. Mm. That's probably the biggest change. Okay. I feel like you've dropped so much knowledge and nuggets and just small things in this conversation. Is there anything out there? And I have to specifically so 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 sorry for anyone who's listening that's not black but any anyone out there that you want to kind of talk to that's a black professional trying to grow in their career trying to be seen trying to really thrive general advice just as a last kind of point that you haven't touched on so general advice is i I said it before we have been as a capitalism employing people who were quote-unquote not qualified for the job Mm. for hundreds of years Mm. hundreds of years do not dim your light because you feel you mm. are not qualified. Mm-hmm. Because technically not being qualified can make you prime minister of this country. Mm. So mm. that's the one realisation there. Like inf- Inferiority complex is real. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel it. Mm. But please, please back yourself. I love that. That's such a good note to end on. And thank you for finally <laughs> coming <laughs> down. Thank, thank I don't thank you so much, but... Honestly, you've been so informative and I appreciate you coming down. And also for those that have listened to just this episode and you really like it, please subscribe. I forget to say this in every episode, but subscribe. Share if you feel like this is useful for you and maybe useful to anyone that you know. And yeah, I'll see you guys on the next episode. See you. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.